Spring football has nearly come and gone in the SEC. A few teams have already played their spring games. Several more will conduct their spring games this week. And everybody will be wrapped up uh, here within a couple weeks' time. Welcome into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. In the second half of the episode today, we're going to touch on a few of the hot topics sort of uh, popping their head up here throughout the last couple weeks of spring football. As uh, as we saw Auburn play its spring game last weekend, as I said, many, many teams will play their spring games on Saturday, and the rest will wrap up the week after that. But before we get into spring football talk, John and I are going to play a little scheduling matchmaker today. Because we got to thinking recently, you know, of the 14 teams in the SEC, four of the 14 play a Power 5 non-conference rivalry game every year. Kentucky plays Louisville, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, and South Carolina Clemson. The other 10 teams in the SEC, they have uh, a rotating opponent in the Power 5 non-conference matchup. Well, John and I got to thinking, maybe we could match somebody up with each of these other SEC teams and create a little non-conference rivalry. John, I know you like to put on your your commissioner hat, so let's do it. You up for being Greg Sankey and the SEC scheduling gods and see what we can come up with here? Yeah, I'm up for being being better than Greg Sankey. Yeah. He's been a pretty good commissioner. You think you can can top that? Doesn't mean I can't be better. Okay. Of course, this is all mythical. We know that we've we've talked about the conference scheduling format and how that's not even decided yet for when Oklahoma and Texas come into the conference. The SEC has not determined whether it will play an eight or nine game conference schedule. And we're yet unsure as to what implications that could have on the non-conference schedule. But that's not going to stop us. We're going to try to create some annual non-conference clashes. Now, we're not going to interrupt any of the four rivalries that are ongoing. We're not going to interfere with Florida or Florida State uh, or some of these other games, South Carolina and Clemson. There's no need to mess with that. So those four teams have already, they've they've already got their non-conference opponent and we're going to leave those on the books. In our world here, Kentucky's going to continue to play Louisville, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, Georgia Tech, and South Carolina, Clemson. That leaves the other 10 needing annual opponents Power five opponents in the non-conference. Let's start off in the SEC East with Missouri. It lost a lot of its old rivals from the Big 12 when it started competing in the SEC in 2012. So, are you looking to one of those old Big 12 foes for the Tigers? Or who do you have across from from Missouri in, in your matchmaker scenario? Well, I just can't see going back there. Missouri chose to leave the Big 12, so why would it want to play somebody from the Big 12? Uh, It's bad enough for the Tigers that uh, Texas A&M left the Big 12 for the SEC, and now you got Oklahoma and Texas coming this way. Uh, Missouri wants no part of the Big 12. Uh, That's an easy one for me, and I would guess you picked the same thing. I'll go with Illinois. I did not go the same direction. So make your make your case for, oh. for Missouri, Illinois. Yeah, Missouri, Illinois is a natural um, proximity, of course. 
friend of mine, Ben Fredrickson, and a friend of uh, Blake's too. Ben Fredrickson's a columnist in St. Louis, and he he lives in uh, Illinois. So that pretty much takes care of the proximity issue. And also, Illinois and Missouri play regularly in basketball. So just move it over to football. And furthermore, that's a that's a Big Ten program that maybe Missouri can beat. Uh, so to me, it would be a good move on Missouri's part. And Illinois gets a chance to knock off uh, an SEC uh, opponent, which would enhance its mediocre image. It is a good basketball rivalry. I like that the bragging rights game is a big one right before Christmas every year they played in St. Louis. I just think I think Kansas is is the the must-have choice for Missouri. Uh, so many of its Big 12 rivals, like I said, were left behind when it joined the SEC. I think you can live maybe without some of them, but I, I think for Missouri, losing that Kansas rivalry really, really kind of diminished um, the excitement for some of these matchups on, on Missouri's schedule. I mean, you know, they've not really developed the, the rivals that they, they once had. Again, you're not going to rekindle all of those, but I think if you could could restore the Kansas game, that would be that would be worthwhile. So that's my my dream matchup for Missouri would be Kansas. I don't have a problem with Illinois. I I, I think you made a fair case for that one. Either way, it's a border a border showdown uh, for the folks in St. Louis. Maybe the Illinois game would be a bigger deal for the folks in Columbia and on the western half of the state. I think they would lean Kansas. All right, let's stay in the SEC East. John, who do you have uh, for Tennessee? For Tennessee, I guess I would go with Georgia Tech. Uh, Tennessee has a huge alumni chapter in, in Atlanta. Uh, also, there's some history there. Bobby Dodd was a long time ago, played quarterback for Tennessee and went on to coach Georgia Tech, which was a was an SEC team until Bobby Dodd said, let's get out of here. These guys are too rough. Uh, <laughs> we, we'd be better off somewhere else. And and so there they go. But I think that that would be a a, a nice uh, a nice game for ten a road game for Tennessee fans. It would be a, an easy easy game to go to. And I think Georgia Tech would like the idea. Again, you can make this case for any non-SEC opponent a chance to knock off a, a team from the college football's premier league. Yeah, they played in in the game in Atlanta several seasons back, the final the final year of the Butch Jones era. It was actually a really really good game. Came right down to the end, and we didn't know at the time that Tennessee was not going to be any good that year. <laughs> it's it a was great an exciting game. season opener. Yeah, yeah. I think Georgia Tech rushed for about eight million yards in that game and still lost. I worry. You think you think Georgia Tech would have the moxie to play both Georgia and Tennessee in in every year though. You think they'd say, bring it on? We're, we're cool with that? I think they would probably rather play UT Martin regularly. Yeah. <laughs> probably so. We're not going to give uh, them a vote, though. It's, it's, no. your, it's your world, your matchups. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, I, I think uh, I think that one that would, would make some sense if you could get, get Georgia Tech to take on a, another uh, Power 5 non-conference opponent. I went with uh, North Carolina. I think that would be, it'd be a really exciting game, I think, if they played annually in basketball. Uh, they did play each other. I know a few years back in, in hoops, but I think even in, in football, you know, they're border states. I don't know how much 
bleed over there is in, in those two fan bases, but it's a it's an easy enough trip for both fan bases. You could do it in a five hour drive. Uh, you'd be white knuckling that drive as you drove through the mountains. That's not uh, that's not one you can just set the cruise on and uh, and turn up the radio. It's a, it's a bit of a stressful drive, but I, I think from proximity's sake and um, and I think those two, those are two programs that would be pretty competitive with each other in, in most years, North Carolina and Tennessee. All right, so we got two different matchups for the first two. See, uh, we keep going in different directions. The final one from the SEC East that needs a partner, John, is, is Vanderbilt. Who are you matching up with the doors? Well, I, I think uh, Duke would be a an appropriate opponent, high academic rep- reputation, good uh, medical school. I think Vanderbilt would like to have as much success as Duke has in football. Minimal though it might be, it's still better than what ba- Vanderbilt's accomplished. In fact, if you look at it realistically, Vanderbilt probably should move to the ACC, but that's a topic for another podcast. So I'll go with uh, Duke. That to me would be a good rivalry. All right, we're in lockstep on that one. I I, I agree with you. We can have a, a nerd bowl match between mm-hmm. Vanderbilt and Duke and uh, let those big uh, academic egos get involved and maybe have a little athletic match as well. Or I don't know. I, I, you could just put them in a room and let them debate. I, I think they would be quite comfortable with that. That's what Vanderbilt fans, they love doing that, having a nice little debate with you. Well, uh, this yeah, I think uh, debate would take too long. Otherwise... I think if the teams went into overtime, I might decide it. Uh, I know this is outdated, but with an old-fashioned spelling bee, <laughs> that would be quicker than de- than a debate. So I might go with the spelling bee. There you go. Especially yeah. if the game goes into overtime, you just you just cancel the overtime. You know, college sure. football's messing around with its overtime rules so much the last couple years anyway. The heck with the overtime. Just uh, spelling bee at the fifty-yard line uh, if the game's to go to the overtime. All right, let's shift over to the SEC West. I'm going to save Alabama, and we're going to get out of we're going to get out of alphabetical order here. So I'll move down the list a little bit. Um, we'll start with the Mississippi schools. Let's start with uh, Ole Miss, and then we'll we'll move to Mississippi State. Who do you have for Lane Kiffin's Rebels as a non-conference Power Five opponent that you're gonna you're gonna pair up with? I think I'll go with Southern Cal. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I see where yeah. you're going here. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss football is all about Lane Kiffin. His dog is a big deal in Oxford, Mississippi. It's a private school. Southern Cal is a private school. Southern Cal is in L.A. Ole Miss is in close to Louisiana, another L.A. So, uh, yeah, I would go with uh, I would go with that. I mean, you would have uh, Lane Kiffin playing his school against his dream school. Mm. where he went there and it turned out to be a nightmare, but that's how it goes in dreamland sometimes. So to me, that would be a nice rivalry. Okay. All right. So you're, you're steering away from the geographic ties on this one. And I did not oh, go yeah. all the way out to, to California, but I, I got outside <laughs> the, the geographic footprint as well. And I paired Ole Miss up with, uh, with Nebraska a little bit for that, that Lane Kiffin factor. Lane was born in Lincoln while Monty Kiffin was uh, Nebraska's defensive coordinator. I don't know. I just think that would be a, a, a matchup of two pretty good brands. I mean, Lincoln is much, much bigger than Oxford. Uh, you know, it's probably graduated a little bit past the college town, but I do think of both those places as good, you know, quote-unquote college towns. 
you know, Nebraska football. I would just really like to see them paired up with someone from the SEC. You know, I know Nebraska's fallen on on hard times in the past 10, 15 years, but still, it's a really good football brand. The SEC is is the greatest football conference, so I think playing Nebraska more regularly for the SEC would be would be kind of fun. It's a great football school regardless of, of what their record's been the past 15 years. So had an opportunity there to, to go outside the footprint with one and, and decided I'd pair him with Ole Miss. Yeah, I like that. Uh, Monty Kiffin was a, a player of the, I, there, I guess, under, guess, Bob Devaney, I guess, probably in the late 60s. So there that, you go. That, yeah, and that's Ole Miss would have a better chance of winning that game than it would against USC, too. All right, how about Mississippi State? Mississippi State uh, is a tough one for me. Um, I think I would probably go with uh, Texas Tech. Hmm. Um, Both Mike Leach coached at both schools, and I think, uh, you know, there was a lot of, there's a lot, I read a lot of heartfelt comments from, from people with tech from Texas tech. And of course, Mississippi state, uh, where Mike Leach was when he died in last December. So I think there's a connection there. They both had the, uh, I guess Texas tech, Texas tech probably still employs a version of the, uh, air raid Mississippi state's going away from that. Another factor of it is Mississippi state. People always talk like, and I don't because I'm from a town of 1500 people in Louisiana, so Starkville's a pretty good, pretty good sized town to me, Starkville, Mississippi. But a lot of people make fun. Oh, Starkville's out in Mississippi State's out in the sticks is a line. Well, Texas Tech's out in West Texas. So far removed from the general populace out there. Lubbock's certainly bigger than Starkville. But so I think there could be so, somewhat of a connection with those programs. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. I like that one. That's uh, two two schools with very similar brands, I would say. I think that would be a pretty competitive uh, rivalry as, as well if you could you could brew that up. Um, so I, I like that one. I, I, I sort of had kind of similar thoughts in mind for mine. I, I went with Oklahoma State, again, trying to think of, of who fits Mississippi State's image. I think Oklahoma State would, would fit that. You know, Oklahoma State, started as as Oklahoma Agricultural and, and Mechanical College. And of course, Mississippi State is Mississippi State University for Agriculture and, and Applied Science. I mean, these are, these are both ag schools at their core. I think they also really have that blue collar image. Uh, you know, Mississippi State wears that very, very proudly. I, I think, you know, when Mike Leach was their coach that sort of contributed to that, even though, you know, Mike Leach, you look at his resume, and, uh, you know, this is someone who went to law school at Pepperdine. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily scream blue collar, but the way his teams played, they were all very much blue collar teams. Uh, I, I, I look at Oklahoma State the same way under Mike Gundy, very blue collar program, had, has had some pretty good success. I think it'd be, you know, a tough matchup for State. But I, I think, you know, in terms of two brands of schools, much like your assignment of Texas Tech, I, I think those, those schools kind of fit up. What do you think about that? Oklahoma State for the Bulldogs? Yeah, well, I think it's a really good matchup, but uh, I can't do that because I paired Oklahoma State with another school. 
All right. Well, let's go in that direction. I, I don't know who you have him paired with, so let's see. What do you What do you got? Who you who okay. you got Oklahoma State going with? Yeah, um, I got it going with the Auburn. All right, Auburn, Oklahoma State. For some of the kind of similarities, I think those are that you that you made uh, in pairing Oklahoma State with Mississippi State. I I, uh, I think I could see that. Um, Auburn to me with Auburn is the number two football school in Alabama, and it's had a lot of success up and down, but some really good teams. It's won a national championship in 2010, almost won one in 2013. So it's a good football program, but it's overshadowed by, I guess, the best program in the country right now, Alabama, unless it's playing Georgia. And so... To me, Oklahoma State has had a lot of good football teams, good in a lot of sports, uh, but it's overshadowed in its own state by Oklahoma. So to me, those guys would have an affinity for one another. That's a pretty good one. I, I think Oklahoma State could fit with about four different SEC schools. <laughs> they would be, of course, Oklahoma's yeah. coming into the conference, so that probably foils all these plans uh, long term, but hey, Oklahoma's not in right now, so that frees up Oklahoma State for us to assign. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I kind of like that one. I actually like your assignment for Auburn. You know, I already burned through Oklahoma State for Mississippi State, so I had to go somewhere else for for Auburn. But I like your assignment better. And uh, I went with Penn State for Auburn, and I don't really have a good case for this one. They've played non conference games the last couple years. I wanted a, a little more Big Ten flavor in my assignments. Um, I didn't think a lot of the Big Ten schools would would make sense or uh, would maybe go for some of these SEC matchups. But, hey, Penn State's shown that they'll do it. They've played Auburn the past couple years. Two years ago, the game in State College was actually a really good one. Uh, last year, Auburn got blown out. Yeah, I don't know. I wanted a couple Big Ten teams on on uh, on the dance card, and, and that was an opportunity to have one. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I can't make a great case for it. I don't know. I mean, Penn State's kind of isolated. I mean – Happy Valley's not exactly a metropolitan area. Right. So they have that commonality. Auburn's, well, you've been to Auburn, so it's not uh, it's not metropolitan either. So I could see that. Plus, both teams have really good tradition, and both teams have had uh, scandals. <laughs> that's true. So yeah. there you, is well, you made a better case than I did. Yeah. Well, no, I think that's I think that would be a nice rivalry and uh yeah, and in the last, uh, you know, last uh, they have played each other the last two seasons. So yeah, I, I like that one. Okay, yeah, two football rich schools. So there, there could be more awkward matchups, I think, than those two. All right, getting down to the the final few here. Uh, let's go with Arkansas. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll bat lead off on this one. Give you a chance to marinate here for Arkansas. I mean, there's so many options I felt like I could go with from the old Southwest Conference days. And the obvious one would be Texas, but I'm not going to pair them with Texas because Texas is coming into the SEC. So um, in the spirit of that, I can't really create a, a non-conference matchmaker scenario with, with Texas, knowing the Longhorns are coming in. But I stayed in the, the state of Texas and paired Arkansas with TCU. Again, I think there's a number of schools that that would make sense for for Arkansas. You could look into their past and match them up. But you know, I, I think that would be an easy trip. TCU to to Arkansas. 
maybe maybe you could get Razorbacks fans who dislike Texas to spill that over into TCU as well, and and get uh, you know throwback uh, a throwback rivalry going again. I don't know if it was a rivalry, but it was an it was an old conference matchup. Yeah, I think a lot of those Southwest Conference, uh, old Southwest Conference matchups are very appealing. I, I was a big fan of that conference growing up. Of course, I was in Louisiana and uh, SEC came first. But my next conference, my backup conference on my depth chart was Southwest Conference. I loved having all the Texas schools involved. And then, you, then of course, you add the, the outsiders uh, like they did with uh, with Arkansas. Uh, you know, I kind of went in the same direction with Arkansas. I just picked a different school. Uh, I could see Arkansas and TCU right now recruiting the same players going head to head for some, it might not be the very top players, the most elite players, but right below that, I could see those teams butting heads and recruiting. I kind of put Baylor in that same category. So that's that's whom I paired it with. Uh, Waco, Texas, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, Walmart's big in Arkansas. I bet I bet Walmart's pretty popular in Waco too. <laughs> what are you trying to say, John? Nothing. I, I, Nothing more know, than I, you just said, huh? I just went to Waco. Okay. I went to uh, I just went to Walmart. And, a couple of weeks ago and got something there that I got a holder for my phone and I couldn't find one anywhere else in this town. And I got oh, one that's at great. Walmart. My wife's yeah. big, uh, big Walmart shareholder. So that, uh, it's feeding oh. right into my family's retirement plan. So you keep Good. going. I'm glad I helped your... out. Uh-huh. Yeah. I like, mm-hmm. I like to hear that. Uh, okay. Well, you went Baylor for Arkansas. I considered Baylor for Arkansas, but I, I decided to assign Baylor elsewhere and I went Baylor and Texas A and M. Um, I think that one's a a natural matchup. Would be a pretty competitive series. You might be able to uh, rekindle some some old feelings there from from their past together. Uh, not only in the Big Twelve, but in in the Southwest Conference as well. So I think that would be would be a natural assignment. Getting those two Texas schools back together, and and really as we play, you know, sort of some of these these fantasy matchmaker scenarios. I think some of our assignments are a little more likely than others, but as I think, you know, if, if really Texas A&M were serious about playing the same team every year in a non-conference clash, I would think Baylor would have to be one of them that would make sense on, on their short list. So uh, who'd you go with for Texas A&M? Well, I, I went outside the, the Southwest since I'd, I'd already used up Baylor. So this is more of a, philosophical pairing uh, with Penn State, a program you've already introduced to this uh, draft, so to speak. Um, Texas A&M and the SEC, what have we been hearing ever since Texas A&M's been in the SEC? Watch out, the Aggies are coming. This could be the Aggies year. And there has been no Aggies year. It's had a good team. It almost made the playoff one year, but it's kind of always falls just short. And I think that's kind of how it is right now with Penn State. And once Penn State got in the Big Ten, it was like, okay, it can go toe-to-toe, head-to-head with with the big boys, Ohio State and Michigan. And it's had good seasons and good moments. But in general, it's still a notch below 
those programs. Ohio State and Michigan still kind of rule, and Penn State's just, it's just almost, it's just sort of a wannabe. John, when Penn State joined the Big Ten, well, that was the early 90s, would you have thought that they would have won a few national championships out of the Big Ten? Of course, they won a couple as an independent, right, in the 1980s. Would you have thought that they would have kind of parlay? I know national championships were different then. At that time, we didn't have the BCS or the playoff era. Uh, it was a whole different world. But would you have thought that they would have, you know, use their place in the Big Ten to, to win a couple more national titles? Or what were your thoughts whenever they, they joined that league? I thought Penn State was very fortunate to be where it was. It it had real flexibility and control with its schedule, and it kind of could pick its opponents better. Um, I didn't see it as another Ohio State or Michigan, I guess is what I'm saying. Now, the other side of that, I guess, that argument, Penn State coming into the Big Ten, that could help its recruiting because of greater competition, buying in heads with those uh, prominent programs. I I guess, in a way, maybe Penn State's kind of done about what I thought it would. All right, we got two teams left here. We need need rival assignments for Alabama and LSU. I'm Pretty curious to see which direction you went with with both these schools, knowing who we've removed from consideration here and and crossing off the list. Uh, So let's go with Alabama, and then we'll conclude with LSU. Who do you got assigned to the Tide? Well, Alabama, everything thinks about everything in national championship terms. I mean, it's all about winning national championships. I think it needs to it needs to play a Big Ten opponent. Because on down the line, it could end up in a playoff with Michigan and Ohio State. You don't need to play Michigan and Ohio State. You don't want to do that. Save that for the playoff. And I thought about I thought about Wisconsin possibly, but I thought a better opponent would be Michigan State. Um, because Michigan State plays both Ohio State and Michigan. So Alabama could kind of measure itself by comparison against those programs. So, and also remember, I, I can't remember the bowl game it was in. It might have been uh, maybe in Tampa or or uh, Jacksonville in the Gator Bowl. Uh, one of those two bowls, as I remember, a few years back when Alabama didn't make a playoff or didn't make a national championship game. It played Michigan State, and it lost two games that year. And it was as though Alabama went out there to prove, well, we're really the best team in the country. I don't care that we lost two games. So let's go out and just beat Michigan State as badly as possible. I mean, it seemed like every fifth play they were hauling a a Spartan off the field in that game. It was just (laughs) – the score, I know Alabama scored in the 50s. It was a route, but it was also just such a – physical beating so i think michigan state would be now i don't know if michigan state would care about it but i think it would be a good <laughs> opponent for alabama yeah that was that was a you were on the right track there that was the capital one bowl in orlando and then okay. they met a few years down the road in the cotton bowl and alabama did the same thing to them they they beat them like a drum and and that matchup too and 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 the other thing you mentioned i mean nick saban uh, for however long he coaches at Alabama, That's that right. would be a, a throwback to his past as well, mm-hmm. uh, having coached at Michigan State. 
earlier in his career. So that's not what I expected, but I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of intrigued by that uh, matchup. Poor Sparty, uh, I worry about them having to play Michigan and uh, Ohio State and Alabama hey, <laughs> every year. That would be a, a murderer's row for sure. Mel Tucker would be earning that big fat salary <laughs> he got a couple years ago based on one good season. Uh, I went kind of with the the prestige matchup here. You know, Alabama, one of the most prestigious. Uh, programs that that we have in college football, both in terms of of national championships and and just its history from you know Bear Bryant and to Nick Saban here in the modern day, and you know if you're looking at it for another program uh, that's full of prestige, I went with Notre Dame. I, I think uh, you know we've seen them play a couple times over the last uh, several years. Once in a BCS national championship game, Alabama had its way uh, with Brian Kelly's Irish. At that time, uh, they played also in the regular season. But, uh, yeah, that would be like the the prestige clash, the Golden Domers against the script day. Yeah, I like that. And and I go back – I remember Alabama playing Notre Dame years ago, maybe in the 70s when a national championship was kind of up for grabs. So you're right about prestige. And it used to be – when I was young, many decades ago, it was a big deal for Southern teams to play Notre Dame. Notre Dame was the school. Southern teams always felt as though they got shortchanged in publicity and recognition. And Notre Dame got more recognition than anyone when it was good. Um, so, yeah, it was a big deal to play uh, against Notre Dame and an even bigger deal to beat it. So that kind of segues into my pick. Okay. Uh, coming up next is LSU. That's who I would have for Notre Dame. I see. All right. I was surprised Notre Dame wasn't on your list, so you were saving it for last. There it is. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's the Brian Kelly Bowl. I mean, what a, what a shot to Notre Dame's ego. What a shot. I mean, Brian Kelly says, yeah, it's okay here. I've been in the playoff a couple of times, but I'm serious about winning the national championship. So I'm heading to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where I can dance and uh, fake my southern accent and uh, just going to hoist a few trophies that I don't think I could win at Notre Dame. Also, uh, having grown up in Louisiana, there was a South Louisiana is very Catholic. So there were a lot of South Louisiana fans who pulled for LSU and Notre Dame. Mm. Yeah, particularly in New Orleans. I had friends uh, from New Orleans that were huge Notre Dame fans. That one would be pretty good. I, I like that one. I can't I can't pivot away from Alabama, Notre Dame, but if I were to have saved Notre Dame for someone else, I, I like that one quite a bit. I also like my matchup I got for LSU. Uh, I went with Miami. You know, to me, LSU and the U, I mean, you talk about kind of comparable brands, uh, how I think Mississippi State and Oklahoma State remind me of each other a little bit. How about LSU and Miami? I mean, those are those are like-minded brands, I think. Uh, Baton Rouge, it knows how to party. Uh, life's a party down in, in Miami as as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, just the, the image of, of those two programs, I think, are, are very much aligned, uh, good, bad, or, or otherwise, um, and, and very football uh, football tradition rich. I mean, LSU's had it going on more recently. Miami, you gotta you gotta wind back the calendar 
a bit, but uh, I thought those two schools would would be matched up pretty well in, in terms of identity. I actually, uh, when I was a student at LSU, I actually attended an LSU-Miami game uh, on a Friday night when Miami was just kind of mediocre, had some great players, but not great program success. And uh, Miami played its home games a lot of times on Friday nights. Uh, there must have been about eh, 20,000 people. I was one of about 20,000 in the Orange Bowl Stadium, pretty big stadium, and there just was hardly anyone there. Yeah, there's there's a lot competing for your attention. I think when you when you live in Miami, you can go head on out to the beach or to party or, or 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 many many other options. So, all right, well there's our there's our assignments, John. I think we've we've got some good ones. We've got maybe a couple head scratchers, but I actually think uh, I think we did our homework assignment uh, maybe a little better than I would have expected here. I think we got a lot of non-conference matchups that uh, make some sense on on one level or another. Let's email these to Greg Seinke. Okay. All right. And I'm sure they'll get funneled straight into the spam oh, folder. They'll <laughs> He'll get right on it, won't he? Yeah. All right. Let's pivot, John, to something based a little more in reality. As I mentioned, a couple, couple teams in the SEC have already played their spring games. Several more will play this weekend. But Auburn is is among those that that played them. My eyes were on the quarterback competition there in that spring game. And and so Robbie Ashford came into the spring game, I seems like, as QB1. I think he exited that weather-riddled spring game as QB1. Do you think Robbie Ashford will be Auburn's QB1 come season opener? Unless Hugh Freeze can go back to the transfer transfer portal and find somebody else uh a a desperation move perhaps but uh he was uh he didn't rip the quarterbacks but you could tell he's he's not real happy with his quarterback situation right now and i think that carries more weight when hugh freeze is not happy with the qbs because he's been he has a history of being a really good offensive coach and a really good quarterback developer. I mean, he had success at Ole Miss with Bo Wallace at quarterback. Bo Wallace wasn't a wasn't a pro prospect by any means, but he won with him. He beat Alabama with Bo Wallace. So, if he's questioning how good these guys are, it makes you wonder. Uh, we talked about Robbie Ashford before uh, on our podcast, and I, I mentioned that. Uh, that I thought he got a little better at the end of the year. And then you pointed out his uh, completion percentage toward the end of the year. And I stood corrected and just wished I'd never brought that up. Well, I mean, he had some great runs and and that might've been weighing very heavily in your mind. I mean, he was, he was knifing through Alabama's defense on quarterback sweeps and, and the whole bit in the iron bowl. It was just when it came time to complete passes, he threw one great pass and that iron bowl. And that one, I think kind of weighs in, in our minds. It was a touchdown pass sort of the corner of the end zone. I'm sure you remember it. Uh, but there were also a lot of erratic completions in that game. He, he's great as a runner. I think Hugh freeze has his hands full with Robbie Ashford as a passer. We really didn't learn anything in Saturday's spring game, uh, because of the weather. There really wasn't much passing going on at all, but I, d- I do think it appears as if Robbie Ashford is atop the depth chart ahead of, of TJ Finley going into the offseason. I would think 
that Hugh Freeze would really like to to see what's going to come in the portal here. Of course, the portal reopens later this week, and it'll be open for a couple weeks. And and we know Hugh Freeze tried to get a, a transfer, I think, in the winter at quarterback, was unsuccessful, got a lot of transfers at other positions, but was not able to get one at quarterback. I would think he's going to remain interested as that happens. Someone that I think Hugh Freeze maybe would have liked to have had on his roster already, but he landed elsewhere in the SEC. Spencer Sanders, who is uh, among the transfer hall at Ole Miss. Ole Miss will play its its spring game this weekend, John. Um, and I think when when Ole Miss added two quarterbacks in this offseason, Walker Howard, the redshirt QB from LSU, who was once a, a very highly touted recruit, and then Spencer Sanders, who seemed like he was the starter for an eternity at Oklahoma State. That that seemed to be a sign that maybe Lane Kiffin is is considering moving on from Jackson Dart, who was the returning starter from last season. But if you listen to Kiffin's comments throughout the spring, he's had some pretty encouraging things to say about Jackson Dart. He's also mentioned that Spencer Sanders, who was, was uh, affected by an injury last year at Oklahoma State, he's mentioned he's not been full speed this spring it seems like despite those additions Jackson Dart is is in the driver's seat as it stands right now still several months till the season but Jackson Dart's still the guy to beat at starting quarterback I I think it depends on how you look at this glass half empty half full I mean Jackson Dart he wasn't a bad quarterback last year but um, made too many mistakes threw too many interceptions this could be a sign that he's taking a step forward you know, I don't know that uh, Jackson Dart had necessarily reached his ceiling last year. It was his first year with Lane Kiffin. We saw Matt Corral develop the longer he was in Kiffin's program. Um, and I think the hope, if you're an Ole Miss fan, is that Jackson Dart will do the same. Um, that's the glass half full outlook. The glass half empty outlook was that Lane Kiffin had hoped he was bringing in his starting quarterback and Spencer Sanders, but because of injury or otherwise... Spencer Sanders has not been able to wrestle away the job. How do you look at this? Well, it, it kind of like what you just said is a good assessment. I, I think the average Ole Miss fan would look at it and not applaud. I think the average Ole Miss fan would think we're bringing in two quarterbacks. We're we're not. These are guys that were that are start. One was starting somewhere else, and Walker Howard, who was third in line at LSU, was a highly recruited player. Uh, coming out of high school, he was a big deal. And so I think Ole Miss fans probably expected one of those guys could beat out Jackson Dart, or maybe both of them could. And so now it's uh, back to – could be back to business as usual. And that's, that's possible uh, that Jackson Dart has gotten better too. And if he has – what a great move by Lane Kiffin and what a testament to his recruiting that he can get two transfers. Uh, Spencer Sanders, who has had a, who had a nice career at Oklahoma state and then a promising young quarterback at LSU, who was much recruited. He can get them come to come to Ole Miss, even when he has a returning starting quarterback. I mean, that, that's a hard sell and he did it. And probably how he did it is, well, I'll make you better. And he has a history of that. So that is could be encouraging to Ole Miss fans too, that, yeah, he'll make Jackson Dart better. 
that Jackson Dart will be better in his next year under Kiffin than he was in his first. So maybe it'll all work out for Ole Miss. Another team playing its spring game on Saturday is Georgia. John, the two-time defending national champions. We've spent a lot of time uh, on our show discussing the quarterback competition at Alabama, whether it be Jalen Milrow or Ty Simpson. Uh, also, the, the transition Alabama has within its offense. Tommy Reese, the offensive coordinator. Uh, Nick Saban's kept it no mystery. Um, not that there'd be really a point to try to keep it a mystery. I think everybody knows that uh, Nick Saban with Tommy Reese in place plans to evolve this offense a little bit. Saban has said, um, you know, wants to lean on, on the run game a little bit more play action passing past few years. Alabama was among the teams pretty comfortable throwing it all over the yard, but they had quarterbacks like Tua and Mac Jones and Bryce young. And we don't know what they're going to have at starting quarterback this year. So they're, they're going to be a little more balanced and more dependent on that run game with Tommy Reese as their coordinator. And that's been, you know, a much discussed storyline throughout the spring. I feel like because of how much attention has gone to what Alabama has going on with its quarterback situation and the mystery, it sort of overshadows that another big time program in the SEC, the two time defending champs, they got a quarterback competition going on as well. Now, I think part of the reason you don't hear about it as much is because it seems like there's a little more belief that uh, Georgia has some good options there, whereas at Alabama it may have good options or maybe not. Um, you know, Jalen Milrow has tons of athleticism, but was kind of a mixed bag in, in his appearances last year, and we just haven't seen much of Ty Simpson, uh, the redshirt freshman. At Georgia, Carson Beck's been the been the backup to Stetson Bennett. He's been in that program for a while, and he's in competition with Brock Vandegrift. Of course, Gunnar Stockton is in that competition as well. Uh, Mark Weiser from the Athens Banner Herald uh, within our USA Today network has said it's basically a two-man race at this point, he believes. Um, Mark reported that it's it's very likely going to be Carson Beck or Brock Vandegrift winning that job. Kirby Smart has not tipped his hand, but, you know, spring games, John, we always have to take them with a grain of salt. Sometimes I think we read too much into them. I think fans, you know, oftentimes have a tendency to read too much into them. But I, I got to say, of all the different spring games going on this weekend, when you got the two-time defending national champions breaking in a starting quarterback um, to replace Stetson Bennett and that job still unsettled, I think there will be a lot of eyes on Carson Beck and, and Brock Vandegrift on Saturday, and, and for good reason. That That's a very important position that, uh, depending on who wins that job and how they perform, could determine who becomes your national champion this year. Well, you're right, and I think fans will place a lot of import on the spring game, but keep in mind that, that those quarterbacks are being evaluated in every practice all through the spring. They'll be evaluated again all through the preseason. Every practice, there will be more scrimmages. So really, this is a, a small sample size of what the coaches will be weighing and deciding who will be the quarterback. I And I haven't seen any – I haven't watched, seen Brock, uh, Brock Vandegrift uh, play. I just know he was much heralded coming out of high school. He's probably considered more athletic than Carson Beck, but 
watching Carson Beck at the end of games last year when Georgia was way ahead and just watching him, thro- watching him throw the ball, I thought he had a real nice throwing motion, a real nice touch. And uh, I'm not trying to be an NFL scout here, but you can watch a guy and kind of see if he can throw the ball. Uh, I, I mean, if it, you know, he, he threw pretty tight spirals. He was accurate. And so, you know, you can see some guys and think, oh, my God, he's he's going to – he could start for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, start the siren. It, it, let's escape here. But I, I think he has passing ability, and I think he will have more quality receivers than any Georgia quarterback can ha- has had since I can remember. I mean, they got two transfers. Dominic Lovett from, Lovett from Missouri, Ra Ra Thompson from Thomas from Mississippi State. They've got the premier tight end in the country, um, in in Brock Bowers, who's who's kind of like another wideout. He's whatever you need him to be. So to me, I I, I just think uh, if you're an accurate passer, you get got a decent release, you're going to do fine in this offense. So I, I kind of think it'll be Carson back. John, do you think we're overlooking this situation at, at Georgia too much? And by, I guess I say we, maybe I mean folks in the media like us or, or even college football fans, with all the attention going to Alabama and their quarterback situation, their new coordinators there, um, you know, can can Nick Saban bounce back uh, after being knocked off the throne by Georgia, not once, but, but twice? And yet Georgia... They've got to replace their starting quarterback, too. They have a new offensive coordinator as well. Todd Monken did a, a fantastic job uh, elevating that offense during his three years as offensive coordinator because Georgia's always had talent. That's not a new development for them. You know, we always said for years about how much talent Georgia had and, you know, was there another, another level the offense could reach? Well, insert Todd Monken, um, insert Stetson Bennett, who I think really benefited from from playing in Todd Monken's system, and Georgia wins two national championships. And I, and I think there seems to be a feeling of, well, it's just going to be rinse and repeat whoever wins this job, whether it be Carson Beck or, or Brock Vandegrift with new offensive coordinator Mike Bobo, that everything's going to be fine and, and Georgia's going to hum along and, and that they're rightfully you know among the very, very short list of favorites to win the national championship this year. Are we Are we overlooking this? too much maybe the challenge that this is to not only replace your starting quarterback but your offensive coordinator as well i think we are in a way the way i looked at todd monken i thought he was a terrific play caller just very creative made so many timely calls and georgia might probably has enough talent it could have had uh any a lot of offensive coordinators and made the college football playoff but I go to go back to that semifinal game against Ohio State in that uh, championship drive that Georgia made there at the end. Uh, it was sort of a a classic testament to both Monken, the play caller, and Stetson Bennett, the player, who I feel for all the attention he got and all the recognition, he was undervalued still. You won two two national championships with that guy. And he was at his best when it mattered most. You just don't get that from a lot of more talented, maybe more NFL-ready quarterbacks. So I think he was undervalued. 
And to me, the difference with Mike Bobo as offensive coordinator, I really question whether he can make that call, that dynamic, game-changing call when the heat is on, as he did against Ohio State. And I'm not saying he's a bad offensive coordinator by any stretch. He's proven himself. But I just think Todd Monken was kind of a next level in that regard. So, again, I still look at Georgia and say, well, who's going – who can beat Georgia in the East? I, I don't think it's possible. I look at that schedule, and yeah, they've got maybe they aren't as good at offense coordinator and quarterback as last year, but they're better at receiver. They got a bunch of good running backs. Their offensive line's okay, and they always seem to have defense. Well, that's just it, right? I mean, we can sit here and say, well, maybe they're gonna, maybe they're gonna struggle a little bit more to replace Stetson Bennett and Todd Monken. Uh, than is being discussed. But when, then you look at that schedule and you think, well, who in the world is going to beat them before Atlanta? I mean, they got to play on the road at Tennessee. You know Neyland Stadium is going to be going to be rocking at, at that one and try to return the favor for all that crowd noise um, that, that was you know in place in Athens this past year and, and Georgia's uh, really wire-to-wire victory in that game. So that if, if there's one test on the regular season schedule that maybe could – could give them pause. I would think it's the road game at Tennessee, but otherwise, you know, I, I, I mean, I think we can kind of pencil in Georgia and into Atlanta, barring something really unforeseen here, something that would really almost come as a shock. Uh, doesn't mean they'll, they'll three-peat. That's a whole different story, but in terms of winning the East, yeah, I mean, I think they're, they're much, I feel much more confident in saying, I, I, I think I know who's going to win the East than in the West. I know you and I both give the edge to LSU, but I don't maybe feel that with as much conviction as I would to say Georgia to to once again win the East. No, I, I think Georgia's become what Alabama was, a team that could indeed win three straight national championships, and that doesn't happen very often. All right, well, spring games galore on Saturday. If you're so inclined, I'm sure you can find them on the streaming services. Uh, We'll be back to discuss those next week, and maybe we can arrange a few more non-conference matchups. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered.